Hey, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying going through 2 Timothy. It is a rich book. It's got nuggets of gold, of truth throughout this whole book. We've, we've learned some great things already. We've learned about our job description, that we're athletes for Christ, we're farmers for Christ, we're soldiers for Christ. Last week we learned about holiness, the importance of living in holiness. This week we're going to learn about wisdom. Wisdom. And I don't know about you, but I want wisdom. And, and if you ask me, a lot of times people in the church will, Pastor, what can I pray for you for? My common uh, prayer request when you ask me, what can I pray for you for, is wisdom. I want more wisdom. I need wisdom. I need wisdom in my parenting. I need wisdom in my marriage. I need wisdom in my lifestyle choices, my personal life. I need wisdom, wisdom. So we're going to learn together this morning how to have some more wisdom. Great way to start the new year, by the way. Learn about wisdom. How can we have more wisdom? So let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, I did, I did a Greek word study this, this, this week on wisdom. The original word meaning in the New Testament for wisdom. Interesting, I didn't know this until I studied this week. The word for wisdom in the Greek is Sophia or Sophia. And I have an aunt Sophia. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text her this week because she's in New York City. I'm going to say, hey, I learned what your name means this, this week. It means wisdom. And the word for wisdom in the New Testament, literally translated, is skill. Skill or expertise in an area, specifically in the Bible, it's a wisdom, is a skill or expertise on how to live out what you're learning in this book. It's learning to have a skill in living right and living godly. And it's more than just up here. You can have all the knowledge in the world. It even says even the demons have head knowledge, they believe, but they tremble and they're in hell. They're not living in wisdom because they fouled the wrong guy. Wisdom is learning to have a skill and expertise to live what you're learning here. Because we're not just supposed to learn this, we're supposed to live it. The Bible says don't just be a hearer of God's word, but what? A doer, and that's wisdom. Wisdom is literally translated again, Sophia, and means an expertise, an ability to live out what you're learning and put put to common sense what you're learning in this book. Interesting, it could also uh, be translated, uh, as it talks about uh, wisdom, it talks about the ability to make the right choices and having understanding in those choices you're making to live out that wisdom and expertise and skill. So if you want one word translation for wisdom, definition, skill. Skill in what? Life. In living out godliness in your life. So I'm going to give you some tools this morning on how to live in wisdom. Three tools, really, right from the pen of the Apostle Paul in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's really only three, three things we're going to see this morning in living in wisdom and living out wisdom. But we're going to also see that, that we're living in a time that's very unwise. We're living in last days. And we're going to see that there's a lot of people around us in the world and the culture that we live in that are lacking wisdom. And that's why Jesus said, when you go out in the world, there's going to be wolves, but you be wise as serpents, what? Innocent as doves. That's Matthew 10, 16, New King James Version. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless. Another version says innocent as doves. And so that's what we're going to learn this morning. How can we be wise as serpents? Have some wisdom in our everyday lives. So let's jump right in. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy. If you're there, say amen. Okay, here we go. 
But realize this, Paul speaking to Timothy, he's pastoring the church in Ephesus. He was the protege of, of, of Paul. He was his, Paul's right-hand man. This is the last letter that Paul's written in the, in, the, in the New Testament. He's about to be executed. He's passing on wisdom to this protege. Realize this, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, last days, what's that? It's the time we're living in right now. The time of the last days is the time of Christ's first coming to the end of the age. How do I know that? Because Hebrews 1-2 says this, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom we also made the world. Another characteristic of the last days, uh, not only God speaking through his Son in the last days, but another characteristic of the last days is the Spirit's being poured out. Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, Peter preaching says this, and it shall be in these last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. So we're in this age now of the God in the new covenant bringing forth his son. We're living in the last days, and now we have the spirits being poured out. Young men are just going to see visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. I'm, I'm seeing some, I'm getting some good dreams lately, by the way. I'm, I'm getting old. I'm getting, the Lord's been giving me dreams. But that's a part of the Holy Spirit working. And sometimes those dreams are from the Lord, too. But listen, why is this difficult times? We're in the, we're in the new covenant of grace. Christ has come. And then not only that, but Christ has come, but he's given us his spirit in a powerful new way in this new covenant. It's difficult times because as, as we're in this end of the age, Satan is pulling out the stops because he knows his time is short, and he's pulling out all the stops because he knows the end of the book the book of Revelation, and Christ is coming back soon to set up his kingdom here on earth. So Satan is making it darker. And Jesus predicted this. Matthew 24, he said this, that at the end of the age, false Christ and, and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. And they'll even be, uh, uh, deceive the elect, if at all possible. It's also interesting, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, a characteristic of these last days. Listen, it says this, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Does that describe our age today? Lawlessness increasing? I remember as a kid, just in my generation as a kid, the biggest scuffle we'd have at schools uh, was people getting in fights at recess. What's happening today? Kids are coming with guns to school and shooting people. Lawlessness is increasing and people's love is growing cold. We're in the last days. There are difficult times we're in. And what's going to characterize the last days? There's 19 characteristics, now Paul's going to give Timothy, that characterize the end of the age in the culture, in the, in the spirit of the culture that we're in. For men will be lovers of self. We see that in our culture today. People, just narcissism abounds. It's all about self. We've got country songs. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. I just want it to be about me. I like that guy. I like that country singer, but I don't like that song because that's a part of the last days. Narcissism, lovers of self, lovers of money. Again, money's not wrong. Money's neutral. Money can be used for the kingdom, but love of money. We, we, we saw earlier, Paul said to Timothy, uh, that the love of money is what? The root of all evil. And it's penetrating our culture. Lovers of money, boastful, again, arrogant, again, because they're lovers of self. Revilers disobedient to parents. Are we seeing that in our culture too? We had two, two TV shows that were off limits when our kids were growing up. Just regular channels or whatever, but whenever you'd hear that music from Married with Children, 
or whatever the, the music for the beginning of Simpsons, the TV channel had to be changed. Because both those shows flaunted and just made it something proud to be disobedient to your parents. That's part of the culture. And parents, by the way, godly parents, what you could do for your kids, a favor you could do our, your kids is teach them to be obedient. We're supposed to raise our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And as you teach them obedience to authority, that's going to bring a long life and blessing to their life instead of cursing. This disobedience to authority that's penetrating our culture is a mess for the people that give, give way to that, ruin their lives. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Interesting, 50% of America, uh, American marriages are ending in divorce. You know what the number one reason for divorce in our culture today is? Irreconcilable differences. It's a part of the spirit of the age. People just being irreconcilable. Malicious gossips without self-control, brutal. Can you say UFC? I'm sorry if you like that stuff, but that's brutal. It's like gladiators, right? That's part of our culture, brutal. Interesting, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers, look at this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What's our greatest commandment as Christians? Matthew 22, 34 to 40. Greatest commandment, love God, man. Love God with all your heart, love God with all your mind, love God with all your soul, love God with all your strength. This is the first and foremost commandment. And what our culture is going towards in these last days is love instead of for God, love for pleasure. And yet sin is pleasurable for a season, but sin, ultimately, the wages of sin is death. And when you go to pleasure to be your God rather than loving God, what happens is you've got an empty cistern. It'll never provide satisfaction, meaning, joy, or peace because it's an empty well. But Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll, I'll be the source of living waters. You'll have meaning. you have joy and you have peace. You keep that loving God more than loving pleasure. But our culture is going the other way. It's a loving of pleasure rather than loving of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied his power, avoid such men as these. Now, what's that? A part of the culture we're in in these last days is there's going to be people that, a lot of people that love to play church. They have an appearance of godliness. The, the word appearance there is a, a, a form. It, it means the, 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 you look at them, they seem religious, they go to church. But there's no power. There's no changed lives. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's supposed to be gone, the new's supposed to come. And what happens is when you play church, your life hasn't changed. Just going through the motions. God forbid that Calvary Chapel, that we become a bunch of people that just play church. I don't want to go there. I don't even like hanging around religious people, by the way. I love hanging around people that love Jesus and are living for Christ and are the real deal. Let's be the real deal. Let's not have this form of godliness, this appearance, this churchianity instead of true Christianity. Let's ditch that. You know, I was reading this week in my quiet time about the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the religious leaders during Jesus' day that didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't even believe in angels. They were liberals. And Jesus just rebuked him in the scripture I was reading. He said, hey, you guys, you Sadducees, you're religious leaders, but you, you don't know the scriptures. And you don't know the power of God. And, you know, if you don't believe in heaven, resurrection, or angels, that's why they're called Sadducees, because that's sad, you see. <laughs> just kidding. 
That's why they, they weren't named it because of that. You go, oh, that was bad. But, but really, let's not be like the Sadducees. Let's know the Scriptures. Let's know the power of God by walking with Christ. And if you know Jesus and you get in his word, the power of God's going to change your life. And it's not going to be churchianity. It's going to be Christianity. It's going to be following Christ. And your life's going to be changed for the better because you're going to have wisdom in doing that. Hold into a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For among them there are those who enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, laid on by various impulses. In other words, these false teachers are going to come in and their lack of power and lack of godliness are going to take advantage of, of people. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejecting regards to the faith, but they'll make not further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. Who's this Janus and Jambres, by the way? It's actually, uh, Jewish tradition says there are two magicians that actually were the magicians in Pharaoh's court that counterfeited miracles to oppose Moses. Remember Moses came in, took his staff, threw it on the ground, turned it into a snake, and then these magicians came, oh, I could do that too, and they threw their staff down and it turned into a snake. And listen, there was probably some power there in these false uh, 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 magicians and everything. The power was probably from demons, and you know what? Going back to what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 24, the false prophets, when they come in the last days, they'll be able to do signs and wonders that can even deceive the elect if possible. So here's the first principle for wisdom. Very important, church. If you want to live in wisdom, avoid, it says here in verse 5, avoid and stay away from people and teachers that will lead you astray. Be careful. Be careful with your associations. Be careful who you're listening to. The Bible says we're supposed to be Bereans who search the scriptures daily to see if what we're listening to and we're believing is true. The Bible says very clearly we're supposed to be people that are students of God's word ourselves to the point when people are leading us astray, we're going to be careful and red flags are going to go up and say, nope, that's counterfeit. Just like Janice and Jeremy, that's counterfeit. We're not going to go with the counterfeit. We're going to stick with the truth. And the way you stick with the truth is you stay in God's word and you stay away from people that can lead you astray. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. The Bible's very clear. Psalm 1.1 1, 1 says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, does this mean you can become a monk and you live in a monastery and have nothing to do with lost people? No. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We need to be rubbing shoulders and leading them to Christ. We need to rub shoulders with lost people. But your associations, your friendships, your closest ties should be with people that love Jesus, not people that are leading you astray. Because we're out there with a bunch of wolves. We are. There's a lot of people out there that would delight in you as a Christian especially to lead you astray. Be careful. Be careful with your close associations. Be cl- careful with your best friendships. They should be people that love Jesus, not people that will lead you astray. I was thinking about my dad. Um, love my dad. It's been, he passed away at 67 uh, years old. It was 2003, so it's been a while. I miss him. I still feel sometimes like I want to call him on the phone, but he, I can't. He's, he's gone. But you know what? For 35 years, my dad struggled with wisdom in this area. Now, my dad was brilliant 
in regards to his business life. He had his own real estate company in Chicago, did very well, very successful in the business aspect. He had wisdom in the business aspect of his life, but he didn't have wisdom in his personal life. He struggled, struggled with uh, drinking and alcoholism and everything else. And, uh, so, but you know, I was thinking about that this week. I go, what happened? My dad was raised in a Christian home. My grandparents were strong Christians. What happened? Why didn't he live in wisdom? I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about part of it, it was, he was raised in a Christian home, went to Christian grade school, Christian high school, went to Wheaton College where Billy Graham went to school. Great Christian college, but in the 50s when he went there, he played football for Wheaton College. He's a quarterback, and his close associations were other football players, and I think a lot of those guys that he hung out with were there to play football, and they were Christian college, but they weren't necessarily Christians. You know, you go to a Christian school, and there was sometimes not Christians there, and what happened was they all would sign this contract, and my dad joked about it. I remember they all had to sign this contract in the 50s of this Christian college that said, I will not dance, I will not go to a movie theater, I won't play cards, and uh, just legalism, and all these football players, I could just see them. They're all signing this contract beginning of every semester, and guess what they did? They went to the movie theater, and they danced, and they did what they wanted to do. They had a form of godliness, but no power. And then, he, to get his business degree, he went from Wheaton College to uh, Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, and he went like a kid in a candy store. There always been a Christian sheltered environment. He went to this Big Ten school, and you know what the first thing he did was? He, he joined a fraternity. Sigma Nu, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, party, and drunken parties. And the associations all went that way. For the next 35 years, as I was growing up, he just went, he, he, all his associations had to do with that, drinking. Bad company corrupts good morals. And I praise God that at the end of his life, I believe, he came back. Trample a child in the way he used to go, and he will, when he's old, he will not depart from it. I remember going in his room, his bedroom, at, right after his funeral, and seeing his Bible from Wheaton College by his bedstand, in a book I'd given him on grace. And I said, thank you, Lord, I needed to see that. Because there was a repentance at the end. But I think about the 35 years that bad associations and bad company didn't stay away from it. It led him astray. You know, he used to, he used to have a saying, it was funny, he used to have a saying when he introduced me to some of his business friends or his drinking friends or whatever else. He said, this is my son Chip, and I'm living in such a way that, that uh, he'll rebel and go another way. And he'd laugh. But I'm thinking, yeah, there was some truth to that. I saw the, the bad direction and the bad associations. And I said, I don't want, when I came to Christ, I said, I don't want to go that way. I want to live in wisdom. And I want you to live that way too. So church, first principle for wisdom, guard your associations. Your bestest friends. <laughs> Is that a word, bestest? Bestest friends. Your closest associations should be people that are pursuing Jesus with you. Remember we talked about uh, last week in 2 Timothy 2.22? Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord. See the corporate nature of fellowship there? Those that call upon the Lord with a what? Pure heart. Be in association and cut off bridges you need to cut off of that are pulling you away 
from wisdom. And now we're going to see the other side of the coin here. Go back to chapter 3, verse 10. Now you, Timothy, instead of being with these people that are going to lead you astray, you, Timothy, you follow my teaching. Now, 19 characteristics of the last days in the culture we're living, nine characteristics now of what we're supposed to follow. Now you, Timothy, you follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions endured and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Paul's bringing back reminiscing and he's saying, hey, Timothy, you've seen it. You've seen my conduct. You've seen my faith. You've seen even my suffering. Now, Timothy was there when Paul was stoned to death outside the city of Lystra. Remember the story in the book of Acts? They took Paul out, of the, out to the edge of the city. They threw boulders at him and killed him. And then the Christians gathered around him and prayed. And he was resuscitated, brought back from the third heaven into his body. And he lived. And then after that, Paul said, let's go back in the city and preach some more. Timothy, this young man, saw that. And Paul said, you saw my conduct. You saw my faith. You saw my purpose. You even saw my suffering. And he said to Timothy, follow after that, Timothy. And then he says in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Boy, that's not a Bible promise you want to put in your fridge, is it? All who live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what are you going to face? Persecution. You know what, church, we need to hear this. We live in the, a bubble here in the United States compared to other countries where there's persecution of Christians. We're, li- we're living in a Christian Disneyland in some ways. It's so easy to be a Christian here. But still, if you're living for Christ, I guarantee you, if you're taking a godly stances for Christ in your workplace, in your extended family, in your neighborhoods, you're going to get some heat for it. If you're, if you're being a witness of the light and the salt of the earth you're supposed to be, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to get some pushback. You're going to get some, some ridicule or alienation a little bit, and that's good. You know why? It means you're taking stances for Jesus. Don't be a camouflage Christian or wallflower Christian. The Bible says, Paul speaking, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation, whoever believes. Why are you ashamed of the thing that saved you, man? Be bold. What's our, what's our, what's our word for this year? harvest. God's going to bring in a harvest, but he needs to do it through us. And a part of that is let's be the light of the world. Let's be the salt of the earth. Whether we get persecution or not, let's go, man. Time's short. We're living in the last days. Let's be godly in Christ Jesus to be the salt of the light of the earth. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, Timothy, what is he supposed to do? Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, known from whom you've learned them. Here's the second thing. First thing was stay away. Stay away from associations. Stay away from false teachers. Stay away from people that can lead you astray. Here's the second thing. Follow after people that have faith, that have conduct, that have godliness to the point they're even being persecuted. And follow their example and be like them kind of fun uh, the last couple of weeks. I've had some contact with my best men. You know, in, in Heidi and I's wedding in 1986, I didn't have a best man. I had best men. I had two guys, Dave Orlowski and Ron Stubbs. And they were two, my two best friends from seminary. 
And now we're kind of reconnecting. Now that our kids are all grown, we've got some time again and stuff, we're reconnecting. And they're actually going to fly out here in April, and they're going to come to church. You get to meet my best men. And they're going to hang out with uh, a church here, and then we're going to go to the beach and spend a couple days at the beach. But I'm so excited about reconnecting these guys because it brings back memories of my um, three years of seminary out in Los Angeles. And I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking those are three, of, three years that I grew like a weed Grew so much those three years. And I was thinking, why did I grow so much during that time? Part of it was I was in seminary and I was having all these Christian classes. And I was learning about ministry and, and having theology classes, studying my Bible, everything else. But another reason why I grew so much those three years, it's kind of, I got around these people that were all going into ministry and they're all going into the uh, a mission field and they all love Jesus. And they loved, a lot of them loved Jesus more than I did. And I just, by being around them as iron sharpens iron, they sharpened me, man. And these two guys, Dave and Ron, uh, Ron Stubbs, they, they, we had this core group, and we got together every Thursday night after we'd study in the library, and we would pray for one each other, share our struggles and sins, and then hold each other accountable. For three years we did that. And it helped, man. Having guys I could look to that I could follow after their conduct, their faith, their, their life for Jesus, man, that, that was like a green Christian. And that doesn't mean I was an environmentalist. It means I was a growing Christian, man. I grew like a weed during that time because I had the right associations. We need to do that, church. You want to have wisdom? Be around wise people. Be around. How do you do that? How do you get around wise people? Well, first of all, you get beyond Sunday morning Christianity. Get in some fellowship groups with some Christians that love Jesus as much or more than you do. Get in some small groups. Come to men's breakfast or women's Bible studies or men's Bible studies on Saturday. Come, get involved on Wednesday night when we do family dinner hour. Get involved in small groups. We're starting this Bible college thing on Thursday nights. Do, get involved in some relationships with people that are going to spur you on to love and good deeds. Because, again, as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen each other, don't we? It's very important we get beyond this Sunday morning thing. We get in some relationships with people that love Jesus that are going to just infect us with a love for Jesus and a desire to live wise lives. There's another way you could do it. In our culture, our technology culture we're in right now, podcasts. You know, I podcast all the time. I podcast people that are wiser in areas I want to be wise in. I podcast Dave Ramsey. He's a great financial stewardship guy, and I listen to him all the time because he knows a lot more about this stuff than I do. And as I learn from him, I learn to be wise in my stewardship of the resources God's, God's uh, trusting me with. And so I want to be wise in that area. I podcast uh, this guy, Craig Corshell. He's kind of like a leadership guy that has some great teaching and podcasts on leadership because I want to be a better leader. And he's, he's wise in this area, so I'm going to listen to that. And I'm going to grow in wisdom because my association of just listening to that is helping me have more wisdom and leadership. You know, I listen to Pastor Chuck, uh, my, my pastor, who's with the Lord now, but I listen to him every week teach the Bible because he knows a lot more about the Bible than I do, and I learn from his faith and his teaching every week. I podcast other Bible teachers that are farther down the road than I am, and I learn from them. Wisdom in God's Word through this podcast. We need to be doing that. The, 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 the thing that we are as Christians is we aren't decisions, we're disciples. The word disciple means learner. It means we're supposed to be a disciplined learner in the things of wisdom in the Word of God. And that will help you grow in wisdom as you have the right associations. You follow after people that are further down the road that have wisdom that you could learn from. 
Guard your associations. Cut off associations if necessary, if they're leading you astray. And then find the associations that you can learn from and grow because the Bible says we're supposed to spur one another on to love and good deeds, right? The Bible says as we fellowship with one another and have the right connections, we stimulate one another to love and good deeds and to wisdom. So now Paul says this, verse 15, and that from childhood, here's the third principle. First principle, again, avoid, stay away from people that will lead you astray, away from wisdom. Follow after people who are living in wisdom. You can learn from and gain wisdom from just associating with them. Now Paul says, verse 15, and that from childhood, Timothy, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom. There's our word there, wisdom, Sophia. The wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's pointing back to the heritage in God's word that Timothy had. Who do you have the heritage from? Who sowed into his life the holy scriptures from, from childhood? Actually, the word childhood there literally means infancy. He says, you remember who sowed this in your life? It was his mom and his grandma. Because we know from uh, earlier, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that is in you as well. Interesting. So he had a mom and a grandma that sowed God's word into his life from infancy on. Parents, listen to me. You want your kids to have wisdom? Give them God's word from infancy on. Sow God's word into their lives. You know, our kids, we, we, we felt led to put them in public schools uh, with the idea that, that they needed to be a witness in public schools, but we were going to disciple them in God's word. And so we made a commitment. If they're going to public schools, every day before they went off to school, we would share God's word with them. We'd read a chapter of scripture together. We'd sit around the dining room table. We'd all read our verse, go around the circle, and we'd all read God's word together before they go to school. We sowed God's word into their life. And you know what? It worked. All four of our kids love Jesus, and they're people of the word, and they're living, I believe, in a lot of ways, in a wise, wise wisdom. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't have parents that were disciples of the word, but I had grandparents. And my grandparents, like Timothy's grandma, sowed God's word into my life. My grandpa Hoppy, who I'm named after, whenever we go to his house for dinner, we couldn't leave the dining room table without him bringing his Bible out, his daily bread out. We'd read the scripture, we'd read the devotion of daily bread, and he'd pray for us as grandkids. And I didn't get saved till I was 17. But that word was sown into my life that when people started witnessing to me in high school, it bore fruit because the word was already the imperishable seed of God's word was sown into my, our lives. Church, let's do that. Let's do that for our kids for the next generation. Amen? Let's sow God's word into their lives. You know, I went to dinner last night. We drove all the way up to Greenville and back because my oldest son and my youngest son live in Greenville. So we took them out to dinner. It's funny, my, my sons are engineers and they make more money than I do, but guess who pays for dinner whenever we get together? <laughs> Pop hops. It's part of the deal, isn't it? But uh, we had dinner. We had a great dinner last night. And. Uh, um, I was sitting across the table from Daniel, my youngest son, and I was just so encouraged because I'd given him, the last time he was home, I'd given him my devotional Bible. I'd been using the summary Bible, which summarizes every chapter. You read a paragraph, then you read the chapter. And he, I go, Dan, are you, are you using that summary Bible? He goes, Dad, I'm not only using it. The, the, the Lord's laid in my heart that I'm going to read, every day I'm trying to read, three, in this new year, I'm trying to read three chapters of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New Testament, 
because I want to read through the entire Bible this year. I'm going, cool. I just said, bless your heart, son. And he said, and my wife, Kylie, she's reading the same Bible too because she likes all those summaries and stuff. And I go, praise the Lord. Him and his wife, both being a man and woman of the word. Praise the Lord. Come on, Lord. That's awesome. And so wisdom, wisdom comes in the third area. Stay away from bad associations. Follow after people that love Jesus, their conduct, their faith. Find people that you can connect with that can help you with wisdom. Third principle, the word of God. The word of God. The Bible says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We gotta get in the word of God and be people of the word. We gotta be people that are committed to, to hearing God's word taught. You know where that starts? Here, here. Commit yourself to be in church, man, where you're hearing the word of God being taught because faith comes by hearing and by the, hearing by the word of Christ. And I got a pet peeve. My pet peeve is this, is people that say, well... I'll come to church once every four weeks or six weeks. That's not enough. We need to be in church on a, a weekly basis hearing God's word so we can have the wisdom that we gain from hearing God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And be people too. Please, if you want wisdom in 2020, be people that are not only hearing God's word on a regular basis but also people that are studying it yourselves, self-feeding Christians, reading God's word, meditating on God's word. Memorizing God's word. Let it be a part of your DNA of your daily life. That's going to take a plan, by the way. You can't be a person of the word and not have a plan. If you, have a, if you don't have a plan, you're going to miss. You're not going to have, the, you're not going to have God's word as an integral part of your daily life. And here's what I encourage you to do. Do something like this. Do, have a reading plan for this next year, for 2020. Even if it's just one chapter of the New Testament a day. If you read one chapter of the New Testament every day, you read the entire New Testament. It's awesome. If you do like my son Daniel, if you read three chapters of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New Testament, you'll read through the entire Bible this year. Have some kind of goal and some kind of plan like that where you're in the Word every day. The Bible says the blessed man is the man who meditates on God's law, God's Word, day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. Your leaf won't wither, and whatever you do will prosper, man. I want to be that way. Again, I want to be a green Christian. I want to be a Christian that's growing and I know that's intricately involved with being in the Word because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? Amen. So let's see what God's Word will do for you in regards to wisdom now. These next couple of verses are two of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. You say, John, you say that all the time. No, I'm serious. These next two verses, I love these next two verses. We're going to break them down. This is the wisdom we receive from God's word as we're in God's word now. Look at the next two verses. It says, all scripture. Notice, circle the word all. All scripture. Not some scripture, not just the scripture you like, not just the scripture that says the things you, you, you lean towards. All scripture is what? Profitable or useful for teaching. What's teaching? Didactica in the Greek. It, it means instruction. All scripture is useful for instruction. Now listen, why all Scripture not only is used for instruction, but all Scripture is what? Inspired by God. Now what does it mean inspired? It means God breathed. It means it's, it's not origin, it's not human, it's God. And the more I study God's Word, the more I'm convinced that this book is God breathed. 
It's inspired by God. What do I mean by that? I mean that every single word in this book was inspired and breathed into human authors that wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This Bible is, is inerrant, it's inspired, it's infallible. You can count on it. You could, you could take this book to the bank. Every word in it is true. And it's amazing. The more I study it, the more I'm convinced of that. You know, th- this book has 66 books written by 40-plus authors on three different continents over a 1,500-year period, and it has a perfect unity and blend. There's a theme that from Genesis to Revelation, which is the theme of redemption, is all throughout this book. And you go, how could over 1,500 years, three continents, 40-plus authors have this incredible unity within this book? Because I just lied. It's not 40-plus authors, it's one. And the author's God. Inspired by God. Do you know that two-thirds of this book is prophetic? What does that mean? It points to things in the future. Two-thirds of this book has prophecy in it, and it's prophetic. And over a half of the prophetic scripture in this book have already come to fruition. Over half of the things that it prophesies of, it's already happened because it's inspired by God. 300-plus prophecies about Jesus that Jesus perfectly fulfilled in his 33 years of life. The chances of that, according to the statisticians, is 10 to the 24th power that one man could fulfill 300-plus prophecies that were, said, that were given hundreds of years before he was even born. It's amazing. All Scripture is inspired, God-breathed, useful for teaching. Teaching what? Teaching us about wisdom, teaching us about marriage, teaching us about parenting, teaching us about personal choices and personal life, teaching us about how to live a blessed life rather than a cursed life. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, useful for teaching, also for rebuke or reproof. What is reproof? It's telling you what you're doing wrong. Have you noticed that as you get into God's Word, it stabs you sometimes? Ouch! I'm wrong in this area. i got to change. It's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it goes to your joints and marrows and divides your soul and spirit, and it'll tell you what you're doing wrong. Charles Spurgeon used to say this. He said, I won't preach a message on any scripture until it stabs me first. I like that because it's convicting. It'll challenge you, and this is what you need to change in. You're wrong in this area, but it also brings correction. What's the difference between correction and reproof? Reproof tells you what you're doing wrong. Correction says this is how you do it right. You've been wrong in this area, husband, so this is how you do it right. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You've been wrong in this area of not disciplining kids, so here's how you do it. You know, <laughs> foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and a rod will remove it. Take that board of education to the seat of understanding. That's how you do it right, correctly, right? So it's correction, and then also it says the Word of God is for training in righteousness. The word training there, interesting. It's the same word in, earlier in Timothy of discipline. Bodily discipline is of little profit. Godly discipline is of much profit. It's saying the discipline, the training, the instruction for righteousness. That's what the God's Word does. It disciplines us. It helps us discern right and wrong, and it brings discipline in our lives to be trained in righteousness. So... What's the end result of God's word giving us wisdom? So that the man of God may be adequate. In other words, uh, the version says complete, equipped for every good work. That's my job. My job, man. 
My job is to be a pastor teacher that's equipping you all for good works and wisdom through the teaching of God's word. And Pastor Mike, who teaches on Wednesday night for me, a book of Genesis, and as we teach on New Testament Sunday morning, our, our heart and our goal is to equip you all for good works and righteousness and wisdom. We want to serve up a good meal every time you come to Calvary Chapel. Yeah, we are Calvary Chapel. No, just kidding. We want, we want to feed you God's word so you can have the wisdom of being under the teaching of God's word and it equips you for righteousness and godly living and wisdom for your everyday lives. We want you to be warriors out there that are winning. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. If God be for us, who could be against us, man? We want you to be more than conquerors through Christ who loves you. And he can. If you just apply these three principles for 2020, please apply them this year. Stay away from bad associations or people that can lead you astray. Please be careful. Bad company corrupts good morals. Number two, have associations with people that are pursuing faith and conduct and righteousness. As we saw in 2 Timothy 2.22, please flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, peace, love, and faith with, with those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Have the right associations this year. Be around people that love Jesus even more than you do. And then follow after them as they follow Christ. Get, get in fellowship with people that will spur you on to love and good deeds. And then for goodness sake, please, 2020, be people of the word. Get yourself in church and stay in church where you can be taught the word of God on a weekly basis at least. Be under the teaching of God's word. Commit to that this year. And then get on some kind of plan where you're, where you're self-feeding too. Where you're letting God's word teach and reproof and correct and train you in righteousness that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. Man, equipped for every good work. We're going to have a good year this year. We're going to have some victories this year. We're going to have some breakthroughs this year. We're going to have some wisdom this year. I'm excited about it. Whew. This harvest theme we have, we're going to see that this year. But if we're going to be good laborers bringing in the harvest, we've got to live it first. And we can't be perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to stumble. But the righteous man falls seven times and he rises again. And so let's this year, let's walk in wisdom. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, for the wisdom we gain every week as we go into your word, God. Thank you, God, that you desire for us not only to make a decision for Christ, but to be disciples for Christ that are learners and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus on a daily basis. Lord, I pray that you help us to apply now what we've learned this morning. Help us in 2020 to be careful in our associations. Help us to get around people that just, we could follow them as they follow Christ. People that can, again, sharpen us and help us to be all that we're supposed to be in Christ. And Lord, help us to be people too that are wise, skillful in our living because we're being trained by your word, God. Thank you that your word, Lord, is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It has the ability to feed our souls and to equip us in righteousness, Lord. 
God, forgive us for those times that we go wayward. Forgive us for the fact that we have hearts that are prone to wander. And Lord, help us to recommit, re-up in this new year to wisdom, to living skillfully by your word, God, to becoming experts on this is the way to go, and we're gonna go that way. We're not gonna turn to the right or the left. We're gonna go the way of wisdom in 2020. Pray for parents here this morning. I pray you give them just an extra source of wisdom and the power of your spirit to raise this next generation in wisdom too, Lord. Help us to be sowing into the next generation wisdom through your word, God. I pray for our Awanas group as they're out there every week on Wednesday nights studying scripture with our kids. Pray that that'd be a, a launching pad for kids to live in wisdom. I pray for our youth ministry, God, as they study the word of God over in the cafe on Wednesday nights. Bless those teenagers with wisdom in this new year, Lord. Pray for us as adults that we'd lead the way, Lord, that we'd be skillful in the art of living because we're being trained by your word, Lord. Give us power, Lord. Give us strength. Give us victory, even this week, to live in wisdom, God. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.